Hey, this is Drew Dixon, co-host of this podcast and the chief content nerd at Love Line Nerd. I just want to give you a heads up about what you're about to listen to. Humans of Gaming evolved out of another podcast I did several years ago uh, with that I started several years ago with a friend of mine named Richard Clark. And so we did about a hundred interviews with various game designers, um, and some of them are really great, and I would hate for you not to hear them. So that's what this is. You're going to hear an old interview that Richard and I did with Edmund McMillan of The Binding of Isaac and uh, Super Meat Boy and several other games. He was also in Indie Game the Movie. He's featured heavily in that movie. And so if you're interested in kind of learning a little bit about the early days of indie game development and kind of how that became a big deal, um, Edmund McMillan's at the very center of that, I think. And that uh, that uh, documentary focuses on that. So it's really interesting. It would be worth checking out. But uh, but yeah, you won't hear from Chris Waltney in this episode, um, but we'll be back with a regularly, regularly scheduled episode of Humes of Gaming next week. But for now, I hope you really enjoy this fascinating interview with Edmund McMillan, who gets into kind of some of the spiritual influences and uh, his background that, um, yeah, that plays into why The Binding of Isaac even exists. So um, I hope you find it as interesting as I thought it was. And uh, again, we'll see you next week for a regular episode. Until then, enjoy. This is the Humans of Gaming podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. I'm your host, Drew Dixon, and I'm here with Richard Clark, our managing editor, ed, editor, editor. Hey, Rich. <laughs> hey, I'm your edgy editor, managing editor, Richard Good. Clark. You doing all right today? I'm doing quite well. How okay. are you? I'm doing great. Well, every week we invite a special guest on the podcast to talk with us about life, games, and belief. And this week we have a guest that I'm really excited about because I'm pretty obsessed with one of the games that he made. We have Edmund McMillan, who you might know from The Binding of Isaac and Super Meat Boy and um, a, a lot of other other games, too. So, hey, Edmund, how are you? I'm all right. And uh, wh- wh- t- you've r- made a lot of like smaller games, too. What else... Uh, Besides The Binding of Isaac and, and uh, Super Meat Boy, might people know you from? That's those are the things people know me from. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've made a, I mean, a lot of people will will play my games, and then if they become so obsessed that they need to see everything that I've done, they'll go and dig up my my games previous to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the 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 best of the games that I made before those two would be Ether and Timefuck. Those are those are or maybe Spewer too. Those are like the last three games I think I made before I made Super Meat Boy. Okay. Uh, cool. And uh before that I'm I've got like twenty games out there floating around in in the uh flash space. Um I put most of them in a pack of games on Steam called um the Basement Collection. Yeah, I've seen that. Which is worth checking out. I mean I there's some good stuff on there and I Spent a lot of time updating some of the old stuff. Uh, yeah, some... I have the basement collection. I've played a little bit of it. I like it a lot because it feels <laughs> like uh, it's like this rare moment where you get to kind of take in one person's work in yeah. uh, in in sort of one fell swoop, which is really nice and get kind of a sense of who who you are as a person from those games, which you don't get a, a chance to do all the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a it's a good way to. Uh... Kind of sum it up. I mean, it's kind of what I was going for too. Like a lot of one of the reasons why I made that collection was because of the movie. And when the movie came out, everybody's like, "You made this one game," and I'm like, "No." Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of wanted to like squish that kind of the illusion of uh, that I just came out, fell out of the sky with a game. Yeah. Um, so by the movie, you mean indie game, the movie. Yeah. Indie game. Yeah. Yeah. So that was. Uh, that was that was an interesting film because you yeah I guess it would just kind of presented you as like a guy who made Super Meat Boy. Uh, they it, they did talk a lot about my, yeah, my history, but they, yeah, but a lot of people just glaze over that. You'd be surprised sure. how many people. You know, there there was a whole segment about the stuff that I had made before Super Meat Boy and how I kind of got my start. Like there was ten years before Super Meat Boy where I was making games and uh, just having fun with it, but not really making any money. Um, and then. Mm-hmm. It, was kind of my attempt at okay, let's try to make this a career and yeah. got to make money. So, so you never did anything in the AAA space. No, no, I I avoided 
working in that space because I never felt comfortable. Like I had a lot of fears working, um, like making art for a living period. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was worried that I would grow to hate it and it was kind of my one outlet. So it was a pretty scary thing for me to even attempt it. I was kind of, there's also the, you know, what if I suck uh, question. Yeah. And I kind of just wanted to do my own stuff. I have a really hard time um, working for some, working for people. I'm just not good when it comes to creativity. Like I'm the kind of guy who in school would, if I was in a team situation, I was the ball hog. You know, I'd be the guy who's like, fuck it, I'll do it. I'll do yeah. all the work. Just let me, let me do it. Like you guys aren't, you're, you guys aren't as into it as I am. So just give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll make this my own. And that, I mean, I knew that I could never, I could never work in an, in an environment like that. I, I, I'm just not, I don't have that kind of skill set. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I think there's this, or some people have this perception of like not wanting to work in that space because of like it being kind of like oppressive creatively or, or even like, um, oppressive like to your life. You know what I mean? Like just the, the crunch and all those kinds of things. But you're clearly a person, it seems like to me, who is not afraid of crunch. Like, like no, if, if I, I took I, anything I, away from like indie game, the movie, it's that you and Tommy, like you guys work freaking hard. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. I would even I would even say that like being an independent developer and, and finding any amount of success um in doing so is way more oppressive than working a nine to five job. Yeah. Mm. Way more. Like yeah. it's um and it's something that I'm kind of dealing with right now after five years of kind of getting lost into this, you know, uh vacuum of uh of in quote success, um that I've completely neglected everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of like picking up the pieces and trying to figure out where I should be and what I want and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff too. It's just, it's too easy to lose yourself in, um, in obsessive working, you know, it's, I'm yeah. a workaholic and it's, it's an addiction like anything else and it has negative effects. Mm-hmm. You, said <clears> earlier, you, you kind of have to do that in order to find success. Like it's, it's there's always pros and cons and people used to always ask me that like, well, what's the difference working, you know, at a company and working in independently? Like, what should I do? And it's like, well, usually if you're asking me this question, your answer is already there. Like you should work at a company. Um, because if not, you probably would already be independent in make, making stuff, but mm-hmm. the, the, there, it's a risk reward situation. Like any designer knows like risk reward is important in games and it's important in life. And if you're willing to take the risk, there's the reward. Um, but there's a lot of risk, a great deal of risk. Even when, even with finding success, there's, there's still so much risk involved. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you, yeah. You mentioned earlier that, um, one of the reasons you were hesitant to like jump fully into making games initially was that you were a little bit scared of like the idea of making art. Could you explain what, what you meant by that? I was, well, I've been like, I grew up making independent comics. I was always doing my own stuff, like making up yeah. my own weird things that I obsessed over that nobody else really cared about, but I was pretty into. And uh, I kind of got to this point where I, I went to college for like a few weeks, art college, and I felt really, really lost and really like I just didn't fit in anywhere and I didn't know what I was doing. And all I knew is that I just wanted to make my stuff. Like yeah. I wanted to make my stuff and I didn't know what that meant, like how I was going to be able to do it myself, because I knew that if I worked for somebody else, that I would probably be too drained to, to work on my own stuff. And I was also a little too scared to try, try, try it by myself, actually make an attempt. It was never like the stuff that I was working with was always a bit too weird um, to make any kind of money, you know, or get a publisher or anything like that. It was always just too much. Um, And I, in a lot of ways, I think I was, playing it safe in that respect where I didn't have to deal with failure as much if I didn't try. And, um, I tried and I failed I, uh, with my comics. I, I, I sent my comics out to get published and, oh, I failed. And, uh, it was so hard. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the things that like kind of shut me off, um, initially. Um, but it was a motivator too, because of that initial, you know, no, um, which wasn't as harsh as I read it. Uh, but it pushed me, in another direction where it's like, oh, right, well, screw these people. I'll do it myself. I'll find my own user base. You know, I'll find people out there. I'm going to learn and uh, I'm going to teach myself how to make a website. And I'm going to, instead of 
instead of publishing these zines, you know, locally, I'm going to put all my stuff online because that's what people, I hear people are doing now. So I'm going to learn how to do that. And that's what I did. And then that transitioned into like using flash and basic interaction, like basic interactive uh, flash games. Um, and then I started talking with other people who are actually doing scripting and stuff like that. And I started working with those people and it turned into games. It was just like this kind of like odd progression, but I felt like I was kind of just shot in one general direction, but I was always really, really petrified of doing it for a living. Yeah. Um, I always just worked, you know, I worked at GameStop, worked in factories. I just worked, you know, little shitty jobs to, to, to make money. But then when I got home, I would work on my art. And, um, I think it wasn't until, uh, like the early two thousands. I was when I said, okay, well I, I'd lost my job. I was an animal control officer and I lost my job. And, uh, an that, animal control officer. So yeah. You said, so you but were like, uh, like going to houses and getting snakes out of people's houses and stuff. Yeah. 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 Okay. That was the more, the more fun <laughs> part of the job. I was yeah. kind of the boy. So I was, I was the one who would, you know, go and, uh, so like if, if a skunk would get his head caught in like a, a uh, yoga container, I'd be the guy that throws the towel over the skunk, wraps it up, pops the thing off its head yeah. and lets it go. Did you ever get or, or I'd be scraping, I'd be scraping up deads. For the most part, I'd be scraping deads off of the street. Yeah. Like I was, I was that person, which. That sounds gross. It was, it was, yeah, but, but to me, it was really interesting. Like I, it, I, I can't that. say that I didn't enjoy a lot of the aspects of how horrible that was. Um, yeah. Because it was interesting. There's a whole, you could see it in Isaac, really. There's a whole yeah. the decomposer ecosystem going on there is, uh-huh. was pretty interesting. And yeah. uh, in a lot of ways, you'd see these corpses, you know, bloom and flower. Uh, it was bizarrely beautiful. Uh, wow. So that was, that was, it was a big chunk of my life and uh, I thought that this was what I was going to be. And, uh, it's a whole long story, but I, I lost my job there. They fired me. And when I got fired, I was so taken back. I was like, what am I supposed to do? Like, uh, I can't, I'm never going to get another job that has that kind of security. Like it was almost like a cop. Like I was getting paid pretty well and I, and I really liked the job and I was good at it and, uh, didn't know what to do. And I said, okay, screw it. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to use my talent, you know, and, uh, and make money with it. And I started to try to like get jobs, places and stuff like that. It was really scary though. The initial, pro- the initial like, okay, I'm going to try because I was so scared that all these people will just say you suck yeah. or I was, I wasn't going to be able to make it as an artist, but I was actually able to find a few freelance jobs that turned into, you know, semi part-time work. But enough to pay the bills. I was doing magazine covers and and uh, logos this was, this was, and you were applying to do like um, artwork for for yeah. these. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And I was so man, at this I, point you're not was, really like doing any kind of um, game design. Right? Well, I was. I was. Oh, okay. I so said I was doing that as well, but back then you couldn't make money off of it at all. Hmm. Because there wasn't really an indie scene, I guess. No, it was. I was finally introduced in 2004 or like like mid 2003. Uh, to the indie scene, uh, when I started working with this company called Chronic Logic, who was an indie company that I, that kind of introduced me to the whole thing. But I was actually making indie games before that. I was making really weird games in like the late ninety, like nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one. I was making all these weird interactive games. One of them was called Dead Baby Dress Up, which was my claim to fame back, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. is actually where the blue baby comes from. That's that was my mascot. That's that is the dead baby from my old work. Um, he was always kind of my mascot and, uh, that turned into this weird series of games called, um, Badlands, which was, I think there was three games that I made with a friend of mine, Calder. And then I made this game Gish with this company. Um, and it, and it ended up getting into the finals of this thing called the IGF, which was like a big, it wasn't that big then it was an award (laughs) ceremony. It was like maybe 20 people, 30 people Mm -hmm. at the most 50 people were entering back then from all over the world and uh, wow. annually, you know, everybody would gather together and meet each other. And that was, that was my introduction to that whole environment, which yeah. you still couldn't make much money off of. Like I tell people now, like Gish, which back then in 2004, when it actually released, it was considered a huge success, huge. And um, I think it's from 2004 until it got on steam. I think we had sold like less than, I can't even remember like 40,000 copies or something like that. Wow. And, uh, yeah, 
it, as as it, no, it's like really small. I can't I can't even remember how small it was. I want to say like ten thousand copies before Steam actually hit, and it was considered yeah. a success at the time. And I'm like, sure you thought that's amazing. Like, but that's in the, in the that was that wasn't that was in the span of like eight years <laughs> from oh, okay. the time yeah. we got on Steam. Like we were selling it off of our website. I remember. I remember one day we had 98 sales in a day because we got linked on Penny Arcade in 2004. And that was the hugest, oh my God, that was the biggest thing ever. Of course, nothing, no other day came close to 98 sales in a day. And it's like, you know, nowadays, you know, Super Meat Boy or Isaac gets a sale on Steam and we sell 140,000 copies. You know, it's, it's a way, way, way different playing field. Um, strangely enough, uh, indie games, you were, $20 $20 or $30 back then. You charged more for them. It was mm. a different playing field. But yeah. there were no portals. You just sold you sold your stuff on your website um, and you just crossed your fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't make enough to make a living off my games. I, I, I didn't make enough to make a living off, off of just my games until months before I started working on Super Meat Boy. Yeah. <laughs> it was like <laughs> at the very end where I was finally like, okay. I'm I'm basically self-sufficient now with these sponsorships. I've got enough money that I can work on this game for a year or two, and then I'm going to put everything on it, and then cross my fingers and hope that it's going to work out. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it took yeah it took about eight and a half nine years to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I I do want to make sure we switch gears and talk about kind of your your spiritual background. Um, so tell me a little bit about like how you how you grew up, and whether or not religion was a part of your upbringing. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I grew up... Uh, so my my mom's side of the family, they're all Catholic. Uh, my grandma um, was Hispanic, um, so she's kind of like a Mexican Catholic. You know, uh, all of my memories of, of what was in her room, all the saints that she had set up, and, and um, all the prayers that she did and everything were very very vivid um, and very comforting. Yeah. My dad, my dad's side of the family were, they're all born again Christian, um, pretty extreme. Uh, a lot of them are missionaries. Uh, one of them, I think, lived in the Fiji Islands and converted people there and did missionary work there. A lot of that sort of stuff, too. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, the dogma I experienced uh, as a kid came from that side of the family. My, my mom and dad split up when I was five, um, which surprisingly wasn't that big of a deal for me. Um, I didn't really, I didn't really feel that close to my, my dad ever. Um, mm-hmm. don't know why, but, um, I mean, I can't say I felt that close to my mom either. I felt very close to my grandma. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the kind of my, my closest person, uh, the person I can always felt comfortable with. Um, and there was never any dogma on her or her end at all. She was a very, very progressive, um, very just good, forgiving, and realistic, and honest woman. Um, mm-hmm. uh, had very progressive views overall, and I never heard her say anything, you know. Um, she never condemned anybody. I, I, all the stuff that I heard from the Macmillan side of the family, my dad's side of the family, it's like these these two religions, which are us, at their core, they're this very similar. They're the same religion, um, uh, but two very, very different sides. Um, and that was kind of my experience growing up. But like, Religious imagery was surrounding me wherever I went. Yeah, like was it was always there, and um, I went through seven years of catechism growing up. In the I wasn't Catholic confirmed church. in the Catholic Church. Okay, I wasn't confirmed. Um, that's when I told my mom that I'm not sure I believe in it. So I, I felt guilty about going. I felt uh, a lot of Catholic guilt. Yeah. So how old did you have been <laughs> I, uh, when you when you Decided not to be confirmed. How how old was I? Yeah, um, I want to say I was fifteen, probably maybe fourteen. Okay, uh, maybe thirteen. I, it's very hard for me to remember. I remember where I was. I was in the uh, Burger King drive-through. <laughs> tell my mom like I'm yeah. not. Sure. I don't know if I believe in God, and I feel huh. like it's it's kind of a slap in the face for me to go to church and and, and and take communion when I'm not sure I believe any of the things that are that are 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 going on there. And yeah. She was a little upset, but, you know. Do you remember about, like, the process of how you got to, to the point where you kind of were ready to say, like, to where it was such an issue for you that you wanted, you know, to make clear to your mom what, that you didn't want to be confirmed? Like, what was that process like? Um, I, 
I, I want to say that I don't think I ever believed that it was real. Um, to begin with. To begin with. Yeah. I, 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 from as, as young as I can remember, I'd, I, I feel like it didn't ever make logical sense. I, even the things like when I would pray and pray the rosary and stuff like that, I felt yeah. like it was a very comforting thing, but I didn't really feel like there was really anybody there. I, I, would, I would have, and, and maybe even still to this day at times, I, I take more comfort in praying to loved ones that have passed and, and speaking to them in prayer. Yeah. Uh, that I do with praying to anybody in particular that, that I'm that I don't know. So um, is that something you still do? You like pray to? I I have I I have I I've, I've definitely talked to my grandma quite a few times when things are hard and and uh, yeah for sure. So um, where like so where do you feel like you've landed now? Like if, if you were, you know, some people don't or issue labels or whatever, but if you were to label yourself, kind of where you are, like, spiritually, in terms of religion, that sort of thing, like, where are you at now? I don't, I don't know, and I don't think I ever will. Um, I guess that makes me agnostic, um, <laughs> if you need to put a label on it. Sure. <laughs> I just I, writing, writing agnostic down here. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't know, and I think that's the big the big and the big and very honest response, the most honest response that I can give, without sounding arrogant um, or or confident in any way that I know something that I know nobody does. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I, there are things I I know I don't believe. Like I I don't believe in the the biblical God. Yeah. Uh, that that doesn't make sense to me. Um, um, I I don't I but. The big, the big question, and the thing that I think defines me spiritually, is that I don't know what happens when I die. Um, definitely not. Um, mm. And I, I think it goes beyond just not like a an ascension or descension situation, but more into the unknown of like beyond consciousness, beyond what we could ever understand could exist. And I think that's, I think that's an important thing. And I feel like that's something that I've definitely thought a lot about was. Realistically, the idea of a god or the idea of an afterlife is not something that our brains can fathom in any way, much like, you know, things in other galaxies existing and what they might look like. Like, um, we know we're limited to the things that we know, which is why I think a lot of people put a, a, a human face on a god or, or any kind of deities. They always look human in, in some, in some way, shape or form, um, because we're limited to what we know and what we can experience. And I feel like, um, these things are, these unknown things, um, are go beyond our understanding. And I don't think they're can realistically be grasped, which is why I think that they're the mystery of where we go and we die. And, you know, if, if there's someone looking down on us is such a, a vast and common thing in every single culture is because we just simply don't know. And it's the un unanswered question that makes people so obsessed to, you know, put, stories to these things yeah, and, 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 and comfort get put some comfort in this, in this unknown. Um, does that, does that unknown nature, like the fact that you you're acknowledging, okay, I can't possibly know that. Does that cause you to be more afraid of death? No. Um, I don't, I'm, I can't say that I'm afraid of death. I'm definitely afraid of others dying and me having to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that, that is a much, more horrible thing for me to fathom because I know that when I die, I will no longer think in the way I'm thinking now. Um, if I'm thinking at all, um, right. uh, I won't exist in this, in this, in, in anything that I can fathom. So I try my best not to worry about it. It's very easy to worry about it and, and, and be scared when, when you think of it in terms of your, like your, your, you're carrying the mind you have right now and, and the thoughts that you have right now with you into another form. Um, because it sounds horrible. It's like a horrible transition into, Oh, now every, it's essentially everybody around you is dying. Uh, but yeah, I don't, doesn't, you know, you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I, when I'm dead, I, I can't worry about it. So I don't, I don't worry about it much, but I do definitely worry about other people. Yeah. Have, uh, so you mentioned your grandmother dying. Uh, have, have you had a bunch of other, have you had other people close to you die and how, 
how do you typically like react? How do you find yourself reacting to that? Um, yeah, I've had a lot of close people die. Okay. Uh, most of the significant people in my life. Have oh, wow. Um, uh, my grandpa, growing up when I was nine, he passed away in a very horrible way. It was very traumatizing. In a very what way? I'm sorry. Horrible. Oh, he was, right, right. Yeah, it was uh, awful. It was um, multiple strokes and heart attacks and uh, a lot of just really awful things. Um, yeah. And I saw him in the hospital and it was just horrible. And uh, <clears throat> my stepfather, who I had a very odd relationship with um, throughout, my, throughout my childhood, it was kind of like a, he was kind of my enemy growing up. But then, you know, when I became an adult, I kind of befriended him again and got close to him again. But uh, he had cancer and he died. Um, he was 50, 54. Um, and uh, God, I can't remember, like 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was weird, very hard. Um, yeah. Uh, because it's you know, funny it, you say weird, because that's my experience too. Like when my dad died, like weird is probably the best possible descriptor for that yeah. situation. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. you just don't know how to react, and there's a lot of weird emotions you have, and you feel guilty and sad and mad and angry and frustrated all at once. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, for sure it was. It was very, very difficult, but I, I don't think I was I was dealing with it in, in any kind of appropriate way. It was kind of huh. me just being really angry and feeling how unfair it was. Like, and and there was there was also this again an unknown variable. Like when when he died and how he died and the fact that I wasn't there when he died. I didn't see him die. He was yeah. just dead when we went to the hospital. He was dead in a bed. He didn't look like himself anymore, and it was just yeah. kind of like a. A total mindfuck. Like I, it was, it was, it was devastating, but also just like twisted my perception of death because once again, it was another very significant male role model in my life who dies in a hospital, mm-hmm. and and you know all the negative things that are tied to that. But then <clears throat> a few years later, when my grandma passed away, it was quite the opposite, where mm. um, I saw her die. Um, I was with her in the room when she died, and it was totally fine. It wasn't wow. scary. It wasn't frightening in any way. It, it, it was a relief. It was, it wasn't scary. It was, it just gave me closure <clears throat> with all the stuff that I experienced growing up with death. Um, the scary aspects of it. And, uh, no, yeah, it kind of closed the book on that and, and kind of helped me deal with the death of, of my stepfather mm. uh, for sure. It was just, it was a gift. It, it was, it really was like her, it's weird to say, but like her death was a gift. It was just like here, like you can see this, so you don't have to have all these. The, the so the mystery is gone. Like right. I, right, I don't know. It was it was in a lot of ways too. Like that was before I started working on Me Boy, and uh, it was kind of another like, hey, wake up! You know, you're only alive for so long. You better try harder. Like I I want to see where my limitations lie and she was kind of the person who was always pushing me in that direction and yeah in a lot of ways i feel like after she passed on though it kind of filled me up with this this energy to to just take it as far as i can take it yeah and and, and just like kind of like prove her right because she was always the person who believed in me um and no matter what weird stuff that i did <laughs> yeah. and again like she's she's a a a devout Catholic. Um, yeah. But, and she, and I was making weird stuff. I lived with her when I was making dead baby dress up and all these other really weird, mildly pornographic things. She saw <laughs> them all. Yeah. She, yeah. She, she, she's an elderly woman. Like she saw them all. She laughed when things were funny. She <laughs> really, you know, it, it was, it was never, she never made me feel like a, an outcast. She made me feel like someone who has something more to give than other people instead of something that, that someone who doesn't fit in, because that's kind of like how I always felt. I I felt that way with everybody. I felt like even to this day, I still feel like a big weirdo. I I still feel like a complete outcast, you know, even in groups of my peers. Like I feel like I don't share the same values. I don't, I don't like the same things that I like really, I don't know, but I was like that always. And, um, 
And when you're a kid, you can really take that two different ways. And for the most part, everybody around you is telling you that you're wrong. Um, and you feel like a loser. You feel like a, an outcast and you feel like no one can relate to you at all. But I was lucky enough to have somebody who, who did, you know, yeah. and who, who could yeah. tell me that, you know, it's a perspective. Everything is a perspective and you can look at yourself as a monster or you can look at yourself as something special and unique. Do yeah. you, do you think of that, that way that she related to you as like because of her Catholic belief or in spite of it? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, I know, I know that her religious beliefs were extremely important to her. Yeah. Um, but they were very personal. And, okay. And like she didn't, she didn't talk about them. She didn't, mm. you know, she mm-hmm. didn't, she didn't talk about like, I remember my, um, my wife asked her when she was, she was on her deathbed many different times. She, this woman wouldn't die. Like she, <laughs> <laughs> she, every, every week it was, Oh, hospice is here and uh, this is it. Got to get over here. And we'd spend all day there. And, and then she just wake back up, sit up in the bed and start talking and be like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm going to get up and back to you. And, you know, <laughs> and she'd, rec- she'd literally recover for like half a year and then it would happen again. And then, you know, it wow. got to the point where I was like, Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. T- yeah. Today's going to be the day. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, uh, my wife asked her, like, are you going to see grandpa when you, when you die? And she's like, no. I'm, I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's like, I'm going to, I'm going to stand at the, I'm going to stand at the hand of God next to him. That's what I'm going to do. Wow. And it's like, oh, and that's what she believed. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until yeah. it was asked. And, and I, I always thought that she, that's what she thought. I thought that she would see my grandpa and, and have yeah. they would be yeah. together. And everything is fine, but no, she, she believes something very different. And I feel like there was an unspoken understanding that what she believed was what she believed. Like, yeah. and it didn't necessarily apply to anybody, but her, even in the people I remember, I remember going to church with her and her getting really mad at somebody who wouldn't shake my hand when we would give, give thanks. And, uh, and, and you guys aren't Catholic, but the, there's a part where you like, you you tell you give peace to other people. You say peace be with you, and you shake. You give them a hug or shake their hand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you know, I dressed in black and I looked odd. So um, this guy, <laughs> this guy in front of us in church, yeah, uh, wouldn't would refuse to to shake my hand. And uh, my grandma got so mad, and she told him off and how like you know this is the reason why people you know don't like Catholics and mm-hmm. blah 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 and whatever else. And she she kind of like explained how even in this church where we all supposedly believe the same thing, everybody believes everything way differently. Like everybody's understanding of, of this religion of these religions that certain people believe, you know, they can all go by the same guidelines and, and believe the exact same stuff. Um, but what they actually believe and the things that they value mm-hmm. are so vastly different. Everybody is, is worshiping and believing in, and in, in, in experiencing in a completely different way, and there's no actual overlap. And, uh, and yeah, and I think I think that she knew that. And uh, I mean, she didn't. Even, my, my grandpa didn't go to church. Like, she, I don't remember them ever arguing about it or talking about it. It was just I don't know. Yeah, my my grandma and her her spiritual side was very apparent. Everybody would tell you how spiritual she was. A lot of people would would tell you that she was psychic. And that she don't have premonitions and mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Like I viewed my grandmother as a mystic. She was she always felt like she knew more than anybody else and was just so in tune with people's feelings and I don't know. A very special woman. But yeah, um yeah, yeah I, I think for her that that it was what made her special what had a lot to do with her spiritual beliefs, for sure. So what would you say about like kind of um, your your beliefs or your I guess you know you would kind of if you like you said before your um, kind of uncertainty I guess is uh, about a lot of things does that motivate the way that you does that motivate your your game design philosophy the way that you approach making art Yeah I think it does definitely I think you could I think you can see the value of the unknown mm-hmm. in my work very much um, I, I value the unknown a lot. I think, I think mystery is so important in life. 
it gives you something to search for. Um, and, and I think in games, I, I do the same. Like I, I try to keep things as mysterious and vast as possible. I try to connect things as deeply and elaborately as possible in every, in every way, like not just in the gameplay, gameplay sense, but also in a thematic sense or, um, in a story sense, just overall. Uh, I, I try to in, intertwine as many things as possible and draw parallels um, as many ways as possible. I, I just try to put a lot of depth there for people to get lost in yeah. and a lot of unknown to explore. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's so re- rewarding because that's kind of what life is. You know, you're, you're going through life and you're learning as you go and experiencing as you go and becoming enlightened as you go. Yeah. And, and, and I put that in everything I do, I think. I try to at least. Yeah. yeah, I certainly had that experience with like with Binding of Isaac. Like to me, what was so part of what was so great about that game was like, like I, I don't know that I can have the same. Ex- I, I guess I had that experience again when I played the the you know the the new version that just came out, Rebirth, to yeah. some to some extent. But the first time I play it, you, the first time you play it, you certainly have, unless you're one of those. <clears throat> people that, like, gets online and reads all the wikis and figures out what all the power-ups do. But I loved how, you know, there was just um, all these insane um, items that you would find and you had no clue what they would do. <laughs> and it's just, it, it feels really oppressive, but at the same time very mysterious. And, um, you know, um, some of them would piss me off, but I would go back because I wanted to, like... <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, I think with Isaac, there's Another big, another big aspect of the game, which I think has a lot to do with the way I view the world and, and everything else, is uh, I designed the game to where you have to deal with the hand that you're dealt. Yeah. And um, there are, of course, people who just like to restart the game if they don't like what the hand that they're dealt. But I'm the kind of person that revels in that. Like I, I, I think experiencing each run with the hand that you're dealt. Um, regardless of if it's good or bad, or the synergies are good or bad, there's still a lot of reward in that. And in a lot of ways, it shows you that when you're dealt a hand and you succeed, you feel much better about what's going on. And I think there's something to that as well. I'm curious, like, uh, so for me, Binding of Isaac feels not, I wouldn't say autobiographical is the is the way that I would put it, but like, it feels like you have created a character you deeply care about. You know what I mean? Like, when yep. you play that game, it feels like Isaac, like, certainly the player cares about Isaac, or is, well, I, at least sure I do. And, like, yeah. it, it, I, I take, you know, when you're, when you're designing a, a a protagonist or whatever in a game and you want people to relate to the protagonist, like, you, mm. how better than a completely defenseless, naked, crying child? Like, yeah. it, it, like <laughs> there's so there's so much wrapped in there. Yeah. Like, I purposefully mm-hmm. rip the clothes off of this uh, naked, like completely exposed to every mm-hmm. element. Like, mm-hmm. you know, no no guard whatsoever. You're a child, an innocent, a completely innocent child, who whose only defense mechanism is emotion, his tears. You know, like, mm-hmm. it, and there, there's there's of course like. A play on holy water and, and you know that old stuff too, but like at its core, like you are the most helpless being you can fathom. Yeah. Yeah. So how much of you is in Isaac? Um a lot of me is in Isaac, um, but also a lot of other people um mm, yeah. growing up and stuff. Um when, when I when I went in I definitely was kind of writing from you know, my, my writing from my own experience very abstractly. Of course, I, I wasn't, you know, abused uh, in the way that he was, and, and I yeah. play up the abuse um, a lot uh, and allude to some pretty horrible stuff, but yeah. the stuff I'm alluding to is all stuff that, you know, it's kind of like uh, family stories of, 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 of generations, like of really messed up families that, you know, and in some way I hold in my DNA... Um, and uh, just yeah, anything anything connected to religion um, and and experiences uh, that were religiously based, a lot of like unclean child type uh, yucky stuff. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that 
I mean, at its core, I really think I when it when it came to how autobiographical the game was with me was I was writing abstractly from the perspective of somebody who was really made to feel like a a monster um, mm-hmm. because I didn't fit in, and it wasn't like I was. You know, later in my teen years, I would, of course, you know, go into religious debates with my father and and that side of the family and stuff. But when I was really young, when I had no grasp on, on, you know, what religion was, other than the fact that I was a bad kid who liked bad things, and it made me feel like a, like a bad kid. And, and I know that if I experienced that even on a small level and it wasn't that bad, that I can only imagine how other kids kind of feel. And again, there's a duality to it too, because if I didn't feel like an outcast, I don't think I would feel as entitled to this creativity that I have. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I, I feel like in a lot of ways I was given, I was, I was pushed more into it. Like I was pushed more within myself because I didn't fit into the world around me. So I had to look, I had to look for other options and, the options that I found were all fictional, but those fictional options look really good on paper um, to other people. <laughs> yeah, and I can I can entertain people with that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm curious. Uh, I guess your your dad's side of the family are they still like like really um, like hardcore? Yeah, yeah. Christian types. Yeah. Okay. I would say quite fanatical. Yeah. So are they? Like, what was their... I'm curious of what their response was to Isaac. My father really likes it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, my my father... It, it was. It, it's interesting. So I don't interact with my father that much. Maybe once a year. He lives um, in, you know... I think he lives out in the desert right now, but basically in L.A., like Southern California. And um, he comes up here every once in a while to... Actually, I think he might be in town this week, but... Mostly see my sister and um, his. Uh, she has she has a kid and and you know I'll go out and eat with them or whatever else. <laughs> and uh, last time he came down or two times before I gave him a copy of Isaac, and I said you know if you know, this is a a DRM free copy so you can you can give it to whoever um, whoever wants it and wants to play it and he's like okay. And uh, next time I saw him he said yeah that Isaac went over big at my church. Wow! <laughs> wow! He's like, yeah, the kids really love it, and I was like, I don't think that that that's that appropriate. <laughs> I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know. Like, I, depending on how you look at it, it can be taken really, really negatively. Um, yeah. And uh, and he goes, no, no, it's it's all by the book. And it's like he was like, no, it's it's all, it, it it's all like, like it. a biblical story. And he installed it on all the computers, and they did like a, a teenage, you know, teen teen kid lock in. Um, uh, and the kids played it all night long, and they loved it. And that was the end of it. No one said anything about it. I don't know what the other McMillans think. You know, honestly, I don't know if they ever listen to this stuff or or what. Um, I, I have no idea. But yeah, because my the- assumption was going to be that they like played. <laughs> it's that's really it's fascinating to me because my assumption was going to be that you know they played Isaac and were like you know con- really concerned about you or or you know or or. Uh, you know that it or worried them. Or some, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Strange, strangely enough, for all the stuff I experienced with them, I never actually felt like they were too concerned about me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I never, uh, never got that sense of wondering mm. if he's okay. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, because there's there's really two kind of camps in our circles of how to receive this game, which is this is an attack on what the, the Bible and Christianity and what the binding of Isaac, that story is about. This is sort of like a <clears throat> anti-Christian screed. And the other is, this is a personal experience we can listen to and learn from, you know? So yeah. obviously we would fall in that second camp, but it's, uh, I don't know. It must have been a relief to have your dad kind of fall into, I guess, the second camp there. I don't know if it was a relief as much. Like, I... It- I love, I mean, I love engaging my father in in these conversations. My father doesn't believe in evolution. I don't even know if he believes in dinosaurs, but like, I, (laughs) he, 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 I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting that there's that perspective that's there. I mean, in, in 
to put everything all my cards on the table, I didn't I didn't actually make this as an attack on anybody. It was it was a personal experience. I was writing yeah. from my own personal perspective that I don't believe that anybody else completely shares because they don't have they aren't inside here. You know, like this is yeah. the and like I was saying before, things imagery and themes are so entwined with each other in the game that it becomes this very self-referential personal thing that only I get on that level. Um, again, it doesn't matter if other people get it or not. Like the game can be experienced for what it is. It can be experienced as just a strange game that's yeah. fun to play. You know, and that's completely <laughs> fine. It's never like I feel like everybody's missing my message or whatever else because my message <laughs> isn't much isn't much of a message as it is a conversation like we're having right, right now. Like it's yeah. not. It's not. I don't have any answers. <laughs> I have nothing. Yeah. I have only my experiences. And uh, whatever I put out there for other people to play, they can jump in and, you know, take what they want and, and go with what works with them or what feels relevant to them. And for my father, all he did was see a biblical story that's been rewritten. And that's great because at its core, that's kind of what it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, and hey, you know, who, who am I to say? Like, art's very subjective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, I think there is a third camp, though, of like, the way a Christian might respond to Binding of Isaac, which I actually think is probably, it sounds like this is where your dad falls, is that he just kind of played it like a game. Like, it's just a game. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, there's people uh, who, yeah. and yeah. and that's the kind of person that I think, like, gets on wiki, on the wiki pages and, like, figures out what all the power-ups do. And, like, you know, just tries to beat it uh, and... and know what everything does in it. I mean, I would, um, I, would, I would say that less than 10% of people who play Isaac and are actually into the game uh, think anything about the theme or the story or yeah. care about it in any way, shape, or form. And that is... Yeah, which is interesting because I feel like it's so, like... I mean, that's definitely what resonated with me about it. It's, it's a, That's why it sticks out to me because um, I think it kind of... Like, I, I guess, because I feel like it forces, I shouldn't say forces, but it definitely asks you to think about what's going on, because every, you know... Constantly. Yeah. Constantly. All yeah. these power-ups are very clearly tied to um, this abusive relationship yeah. that Isaac has with his with his mother. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, that, that's it's, it's interesting to me that people just, just game it out, you know, <laughs> without yeah. giving much thought to that. Well, Drew, we were we were talking to a really thoughtful guy the other day who was like, "I don't get this game. <laughs> like, can you guys like you guys talk about how deep it is? But I just don't understand it." And we were like, "Well, it's about this and this." And he was like, "Oh, I just realized I skipped the intro." <laughs> <laughs> like that was kind of the whole thing for him was he had just missed the intro. He accidentally hit start or something yeah. <laughs> and just missed what it was about, basically. Yeah, which yeah. I thought was funny. Yeah, I, yeah. It, the 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 most fun I've been having with this game at this point because, as as you might know, like I, when designing Isaac, I never set out to make a game that anybody would care about. You know, I didn't think anybody would play it. Like I yeah. thought it was going to be a very niche, old school. Like it was my Isaac is a lot like my old games. You know, the uh, Super Meat Boy is a pretty mainstream. Uh, variation of my storytelling and game design. Yeah. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's by far the most accessible game that I've ever designed. Isaac, on the other hand, was way the opposite, and 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 not only in its very kind of hard to take themes and story, but also just the overall game design. It, it, it came out at a time where nobody played these roguelike games, and it was getting yeah. really negative reviews, saying like, "Why would I want to play a run where I lose all my items that I work for?" <laughs> after I die, like it's yeah. too hard. It's too hardcore, and I remember trying to, and, and pleading with these people to be like, "Play it a few more times," because I did a lot of work here. <laughs> like, yeah. going on, and like the more you play, the more it unfolds. And that was my design, but I knew that like there was this barrier of entry of like you've got to put some time in in order to really get what I'm what I'm offering here on from a design standpoint. So I I was like for sure. There is no way this is going to do well. Nobody's going to care. And in a lot of ways, I was designing it purposefully to not do well. You know, I'd already seen yeah. success. In a lot of ways, it was pretty scary. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to be, you know, 
indie game the movie Edmund McMillan indie darling you know type person <laughs> I want I wanted people to see that I'm more than what they saw in this movie and that I've got I've, I'm more than a one dimensional person and I want to put more out there I want to put I want I want the darkness to to push out a bit more and I want yeah. to make something a little bit more abrasive and more like what I used to do but what's hilarious now and what I really enjoy is the fact that really so many people it's become I mean, what, almost like, at this point with Rebirth Out, there's like 4 million people who've been playing the game, you know, not counting other platforms or whatever else. And uh, people are just playing it, and they see it as a video game, and that's it. And what's hilarious, it's, it's the same situation with Mario, where nobody ever questions the fact that Mario is a very, <laughs> is just constantly referencing drugs, and it's, it is a very, like, very obvious take on Alice in Wonderland, which is also referencing drugs. Uh, it, it, it is completely psychedelic, eating mushrooms, getting bigger, getting smaller, psychedelic experience, which was probably pretty apparent when it came out. Um, but once it became a part of pop culture, nobody questioned the themes anymore. And, then, yeah. and I sometimes have to remind people that you are playing as a naked child a bald, naked child who's killing things with his tears, who's is running from his in fear of his mother. Um, the the these general themes of which on paper when I write it out look so dark and, and dreary. Everybody just thinks it's this fun game, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Which is fun. It's it's cool. It just shows you how you know. <laughs> that's incredible. That's yeah. really interesting. But th- that has to make you like. So that doesn't make you in like so agitated sometimes or like frustrated. No. Okay. No, that no, would annoy I, it's, me. It's just, a, I, it's just another. It's interesting. It's, it's just another learning experience to see how, yeah. how people and just society in general, or a large group of people, take something and run with it, and how it changes over time. I mean, in a lot of ways, you can tie it back to the Bible. It's a similar experience. You yeah. Know, like, <laughs> yeah. It's just how it works. Yeah. Um, yeah. Since I you would, brought up the Bible, I did want to ask you, like, uh, what your t- actual opinion or take on that story the binding of isaac is like how you feel about it when you read it um uh when i i know when i initially read this story um uh it was seems really hardcore uh, <laughs> yeah but all old testament stuff was pretty hardcore i mean back then it's true. uh god was super vengeful and very jealous and more like a human <laughs> like he didn't seem so godly then he seemed he seemed to have more human emotions and um, very vengeful and jealous and, you know, and uh, which I kind of like, I mean, from a creative standpoint, writing that, that God is much, hmm. much more um, fun than, you know, later New Testament, you know, love, more love, love everyone. Everything's going to be great type situation aside from revelations. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but uh, I, I, thought it was interesting because quite literally the story stories from the Bible interest me to just to, to like juxtapose them with how they would be different if they happened now and how yeah if something like quite literally if something that was written as fact like a real thing that happened if the binding of Isaac the story really happened and it really for sure happened if what if it happened again now, like it, it, it happens often, you know, uh, people hear the voice of God telling them to do a lot of things and they do do these things. And yeah. these people are, 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 you know, either killed or shipped off or whatever else. And, uh, there's just that, that in itself, like is kind of my initial binding of Isaac idea where it's like, ah, that's interesting. Um, because, yeah. Nobody in hell would believe if, if somebody came into one of your guys' churches and said, no, I swear, God's speaking to me. I swear this, like, and he's telling me this. You'd say, you are insane. You are insane. Yeah. You're a crazy person. Get this crazy person out of here. Especially if they're <laughs> saying, uh, God's telling me to kill somebody. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's really interesting on a really deep level when it comes to just the Bible in general and belief. And mm-hmm. uh, that's what I was taking a stab at. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, um, as we kind of close out here, do you uh, 
how do you feel about, obviously this is something you did with Isaac, we've already kind of talked about this, but how do you feel about religion in games, and, and what, do you feel like there's any good examples of some games that tackle, like, religion or, or spirituality in an interesting way? I don't think so. I can't think of any. Nothing really. <laughs> You're Nothing I mean, Binding of Isaac certainly is one that sticks out in my mind, because, like, I guess, and it's probably different for me playing it as a Christian, but it's sort of... It sort of forced me to deal with that story in a, you know, in, in kind of to confront the darkness that's in that story. It's a, it's a, like you said, it's a dark story and you kind of have to like process through that and think about it. Um, but you can't, you can't think of any others that, that, that deal with that in an interesting way or. <laughs> no. 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 That's, I... not the kind of, that's not the kind of game you, you wouldn't be drawn to that kind of game, I guess. I don't. Yeah. I, again, I'm like, I'm honestly not too drawn to stories in games because uh-huh. usually traditional storytelling in, in video games kind of sucks for me. I don't find it interesting at all. I usually skip cutscenes like the guy that skipped the intro. <laughs> I'd be, yeah. I would honestly, I'd be him. I'd be that guy. And I'd probably be fun. <laughs> it's like just on a surface level. Let's have fun playing this weird game. Um, uh, which is fine. Obviously I, I would, I'd, I'd enjoy it. I designed yeah. to enjoy it, but, um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, no, I, I can't say. I'm really interested in religion. Like, yeah, I, I think I think it's very interesting. I uh, I'm really interested in it creatively. And like, if I if I reword this question and I say like, oh, well, what are some art forms and other things like religiously that have inspired me or that I really look towards, uh-huh. in, you know, as, in, as interesting? I would say the works of Jack Chick are incredibly interesting. I think that oh, guy. Yeah. yeah. I think that guy is a genius. <laughs> And I really love his work. I, I think he's a great artist. I think he's an amazing artist, but he's also a questionable human being, like, um, on many levels. But I'm the kind of person that kind of really separates the art from the artist. And I think in a lot of ways, I think the way he writes about his interpretation of the Bible and his personal, his personal views on things come through in his writing and his work. And you kind of see this undercurrent of what he's worrying about. He kind of has this paranoia that everybody's out to get him, um, that, that he is an outcast. Like in a lot of ways, he really writes like he's an outcast and, and, uh, I don't know. So interesting. Um, I, I collect his work. I, I have a lot of his stuff and I've been trying my best to like finagle, uh, some sort of actual piece of art that he did that I could frame because I would love to get that before he dies because I'm sure he's going to pass away in the next five years. He's quite old. So yeah. So is he still like putting out new yep. tracks? Yep. Okay. Yep, wow. For sure. Some people think he's dead and they, they think that the people are like, he's done a bunch of tracks and, and uh, that he's, they're just putting it out for him. Yeah. Um, I did get in contact with a secretary there and she said that, you know, he's like 90, 95 or something and that, uh-huh. Still working. He's still doing like I I, I have scri- subscribed to their newsletter and they have this thing called Battle Cry, which is not a great title um, for <laughs> a religious extremist group. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, he writes at the end. He always has like you know a message to everybody, and I believe it's him writing it. But yeah, he's still around. He's still doing his tracks, and I'm still collecting them. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I would I would cite him as like a major influence. Uh, from a religious creative standpoint. Yeah, that's interesting. Do, have you seen the, some people are making like a, a Jack Chick movie, a Kickstarter, this Kickstarter project? Have oh yes, yeah. yeah I, I think I, I I part of the Kickstarter. Okay, yeah. I don't know it's, if it's been made yet or not, but that's, no, it's yeah, no, yeah. No, there's there's a documentary about him that's been out for a while. Um, it's mostly about his work and stuff. It's it's pretty funny. There are other people like me who aren't really religious, but really find his work really interesting, like collectors and stuff. Yeah. He actually made a track about that, about how it's bad if you're a collector. <laughs> oh, of his stuff? Yeah, it's hilarious. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I love his work, for yeah. sure. And everybody thinks I'm a huge weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be, it w- I would feel weird collecting them as, as a Christian, but that's another... That's another discussion, but I can understand why you find them fascinating for sure. Um, cause they are, they are that, I guess, if anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks so much for being on the podcast with us, Edmund. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for, yeah, thanks, Edmund. This was thanks fun. Thanks for asking me questions that I'm not usually asked. <laughs>
Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, um, you can follow Edmund on Twitter at what, Edmund? Oh, I'm, who cares? You don't care. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, you can follow, you can follow Rich on Twitter if you'd like to. If you'd like to follow Richard Clark, our managing editor, it's Dead Yet Living. Uh, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at DrewDixon82. If you enjoyed the podcast, please spread the word on Twitter, Facebook, and especially on iTunes by rating and reviewing us. Our podcast, podcast producer is Cray Allred. Go play Binding of Isaac if you haven't yet. And then don't send us hate mail if you're offended by it. Um, <laughs> Um, Edmund, before we go, is there anything you're working on that you'd like to mention? Uh, I'm currently taking a break. I'm taking a bit of a, a break. Um, have a lot of stressful situations as of late and a, yeah. a, a recent move. So um, I'm, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm going to lay low for the uh, for the holidays. But I am I am working on a new Super Meat Boy with Tommy called Super oh, cool. Meat Boy Forever. Nice. Um, and uh, working on an expansion for Isaac, which will hopefully be out you know, midway through next year yeah. and um, working on some other weird, really weird projects that will hopefully crash and burn in the way that I hoped that Isaac would. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We'll definitely be keeping an eye out, particularly for those crashing and burning ones. Those are the ones <laughs> I'm, I'm most excited about. So, well, thanks again. And we'll see you guys. Thank you.